Here's the thing, Nikki. Most men don't know what their values are, and therefore they have trouble standing for something, you know, and, and there's the old saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that is one of the challenges that we face as men is what is our identity and that it's not an accident, it's a choice. Your life is a reflection of the decisions you make or the decisions you don't make. The values you live, whether they're your own or somebody else's, your life is a reflection of those values. Here's the fundamental challenge that we face. Many people are living someone else's values. When you're not being true to yourself, you're out of integrity. If you don't ever take the time to think about it, if you don't ever take the time to write those values out, write out the intention of who you want to be as a man, how you want to show up, then you're being reactive. You're a man living in the modern world in a time when men and manhood are not what they once were. You live life on your own terms. You're self-sufficient. You think for yourself and you march to the beat of your own drum. When life knocks you down, you get back up because in your gut, you know that's what men do. You're a badass and a warrior. And on the days when you forget, we are here to remind you who you really are. Welcome to the Sovereign Man Podcast, where we aim to make men masculine again. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and my guest today is a very special and powerful individual. Patrick Franci is the founder of the Real Estate Investment Network. This is an organization that has been helping Canadians get involved in investing in real estate and creating financial freedom for themselves and their families. For 20 plus years, nearly 200,000 people have done Patrick and his company's courses. They've helped put tens of thousands of people on the footing to financial freedom. But Patrick is also a very thoughtful, cerebral, intellectual man. He's been involved in men's work himself for a long time. He's done some of the same work that I've done. And he's given a lot of thought to issues of, of men, manhood, and masculinity and how to create a positive masculinity in the 21st century. So I'm very excited to have Patrick here with us. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks for having me on the show, Nikki. Yeah, great to have you here, brother. So Patrick, you know, when I had the concept to create the Sovereign Man Movement last year, I asked you to come on uh, one of my team meetings. And then um, I asked you for a, um, a mentoring meeting. And if you recall, you sat with me and you told me, okay, there's a few things you need to do. One of which is, you know, if you want to build a, a movement, you got to read a book. And this book that you recommended I read was Tribes by Seth Godin. You remember that conversation? Sure. Um, oh, yes, very well. Yes. Yeah. So I bought the book. I read it. I, I gave it to a few of the other men in the, in the organization, and they've read it too. And in fact, it's on our, it's on our um, curriculum reading list right now. Yeah. So it was very powerful for me to get that book and to read it. And I wanted to bring you on here because you built a big movement. You understand what it takes to get people excited about a cause. And I was wondering if you would just reveal some of your wisdom and insights to my audience. First of all, maybe start a little bit by your background, how you got involved in RAIN and you know what allowed you to build RAIN to the success that you've had it built to, and then how this can apply to men these days who are looking to build movements of their own and specifically in a movement of positive masculinity and positive men in the world today. 
Yeah, that's a really big question. Lots of points to kind of answer the conversation on that one, Nikki. Now, my own background is, you know, uh, of course, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a son, you know, from the man point of view, the masculinity point of view, which we can get to, uh, you know, as the brother to three sisters, I, I have a daughter, you know, so I, you know, in my world, I'm surrounded by women, probably more so than many men are. But that all says is that also helped me help define me as a man, by the way. You know, from a business perspective, I've been a you know business owner, self-employed individual for uh, almost 38 years now and own uh, two or three different businesses, three different businesses now, plus run some coaching programs, but uh, ultimately where I work with my wife. So ultimately, you know, I'm an entrepreneur at her heart. I'm, you know, really always working backwards from one of my highest values is being a contribution and uh, gaining my significance and really making a difference in the world by supporting people. And I happen to work with a lot of men. That just happens to be kind of where it goes. And uh, so in the world of trying to create a movement, it really is, you know, somebody, the leader, the pointy end of the spear, being willing to actually stand in their values and uh, state what those values are. There is no mistake and there is nothing, and there's a lot of substance to the old cliche is that like attracts like. And one of the things that get in men's way is the judgment of standing out or the judgment of being a certain way. And the reality of it is that you will attract those individuals that align with your values, align with the stand that you're wanting to take. Here's the thing, Nikki, most men don't know what their values are. And therefore, they have trouble standing for something, you know, and, and there's the old saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that is one of the challenges that we face as men is what is our identity and that it's not an accident. It's a choice. We get to choose who we are as men. We get to choose who we are as business owners and who we are in the context of our life. So that's the work that I've done over the years, uh, almost 30 years of it now, uh, but certainly uh, been very engaged that way. Well, you know, what's incredible to me is what you created with Rain. I mean, Rain isn't a men's movement. Rain is a real estate investment network, right? Literally, yeah. the real estate investment network. That's what Rain stands for. And that movement, though, was built very methodically, very deliberately, and very successfully. And I think that the principles which you use to build that movement are valuable for any man who aspires to leadership. And I certainly aspire to leadership. It's one of the things that, you know, drives me in doing what I do inside the sovereign man movement. So maybe you could speak sure. a little bit about, you know, how you built rain. Like what was, what was the impetus behind building rain? Why did you want it to go beyond just you and your wife investing in real estate? Why bring other people into the picture? Well, I think there was a fundamental behind it. So Rain's been around 30 years. You know, I've been part of it. And uh, since 2000, when I went on my journey of investing in real estate, but ultimately, you know, the, I had another entrepreneurial accident. All my, all my accidents seem to be entrepreneurial and, you know, all my entrepreneurial experiences seem to be accidents, but it all stemmed from one fundamental thing was that real estate was a way to support people in creating a financial future using real estate as that you know, part of their life that they could look in and build on the foundation given a process and a system for investing in real estate. So here's the thing about it. 
I went forward with that in order to support people in creating a financial future. Real estate is a way to do that. There's a process, there's systems to do that. But at the at the kind of underlying foundation of it all, Nikki, is that being a contribution and supporting others' success, in this case, financially, in this case, real estate, which just happens to be a methodology, by the way. And along the way, there's the tactics, there's the strategies, the how-tos of it. But ultimately, we know in behind all of it, I don't care how many how-tos I give you, how many strategies I teach you, how many tactics you seem to try and apply. If you don't have the mindset for it, if you're not really uh, understanding the why, you know, that once again, another cliche, know your why, but it's such an important part of it. And then understanding what it is you're trying to do. So for me as an entrepreneur, getting engaged with Rain, building that network out was actually about supporting others in having financial success. Real estate was just one of the ways to do that. And I mean, recently in the past couple of years, given pandemic and COVID, we've expanded that to say, how do we survive in a kind of a crisis that we're still going through? Although sometimes we look at what's happening economically, it may not feel like a crisis, but underlying, there's a lot of stuff going on, as you know, and that is, you know, all the the fear, the uncertainty, the confusion, the depression, the sadness, the polarity, the divisiveness, the politics. Oh my gosh, there's so much. So RAIN represents a place, a, a community, if you will, and an ecosystem to come in and not only learn about real estate investing and how to create a financial future, but how do you work through all of these challenges? Because we're all going through them. You know, it's, it's very, very true. Um, so a lot of people that get involved in business, let's just be candid. Once they've made the success for themselves, they want to help their customers. They want to help their employees. They don't necessarily go looking to say, you know what? I want to help 30 other people, a hundred other people, a thousand other people do what I did. There's a few people who do that. I can think of like Brian Scudamore from 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I mean, what he's created with his franchise model there has helped make a lot of other people successful, which is fantastic. You know, there's, Patrick Francie, who does that, but I don't know a ton of other people who say, okay, I figured it out. Now let me make about a thousand other people, multimillionaires. What took you there? Well, once again, it was, you know, one of my core values is to be a contribution, you know, where at the end of the day, you know, what we find with life is that it's not about money. And, you know, it's, yes, we all want to make money and we all want to make a lot of money or maybe we don't, but we all want to have a great life and a great lifestyle perhaps. And, you know, making money is only one part of it. If you're just making money, but you're not being a contribution, if you're not selling an amazing service or an amazing product that's making a difference in people's lives, then guess what? You know, it kind of falls off. And so, you know, when you talk about, you know, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, that's being a huge contribution. Brian gets to be a significant contribution. He's made a lot of money. Then he goes on a philanthropic journey and does all the things. But that's about being, being a contribution. And men particularly, because we go back to the sovereign man, is that, you know, whatever business you're in, even if it's a career, by the way, even if you're not an entrepreneur, you can be, you know, um, you can still have a great career or, or be a great tradesperson. But ultimately... How are you being a contribution to the people around you? How are you being a contribution to the company? And, you know, if that's what lights us up. It's what gets us out of bed in the morning. And it's also what gets us through the challenges that we will ultimately face. As a matter of fact, we need to face those challenges. Yeah, that's very true.
that's very true. So rain blew up. Rain became a ginormous entity with uh, people in cities all across Canada. I remember coming to an event in 2012, 2013, like when you and I first met in Toronto, and there must have been 500 people in the room, and they were all RAIN members, right? And that, that just blew me away. So what is it that you believe touched those people to the point that they said, yeah, I need to be a part of this? Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, people want leadership. They need leadership. And, you know, we've gone on to, you know, really see where, you know, we've actually in some regards, you know, trained our own competition because, you know, many people were inspired to do what we do and went on to grow their own coaching businesses and businesses of investing in real estate. And they do an excellent job, by the way, not making any of that wrong, but these are things that, you know, the development of the business, but people need that spark often, right? And not everybody goes on to invest in real estate. We've had members of the community that were part of the community for three, four years, never bought a single piece of real estate, but got exceptional value from the business. Why? Because we provide the leadership. We provided what was going on with the economic fundamentals of what was driving our country. Some of them was just happy to hear and know more about the underlying economics and they liked the research. So that's why they stayed. It supported their business. It supported their careers. And they never went on to buy a piece of real estate for whatever reason, regardless. The point of it is, is that when there's leadership, when there's somebody that has a message that resonates with you, then you want to be part of that. When you create a community now keep keep in mind something here, Nikki, about Rain, what they've done, what we've done exceptionally well, and we continue to work at, which is it's one thing to have a community, a space for people to show up. But it's so important to understand that Rain is also a culture. It's a culture where people come together to talk real estate, to share, to be collaborative, and to kind of support those that don't have as much experience. So a rookie or somebody who's never invested in real estate coming into that environment, although they may feel intimidated to start because there's people there with, you know, dozens of doors or five doors or 50 doors, doesn't matter. The point is, it can be probably a little intimidating. And I know it is, that's the feedback we've got. But the community itself understand one's, understands one thing. We all started with no real estate. Yeah. At some point, we all jumped off the cliff and went, oh my gosh, here's my first door. What have I done? And then, you know, methodically went through it. But when you're in that particular kind of a community, like-minded individuals, and most importantly, the culture that supports you in growing and you can ask questions and there are no stupid questions. Well, guess what? Then you start to feel like, holy cow, this is a neat environment. So we often are shining a light on environment, culture, community. The environment, and for those who are in any business, you know, we have to create an environment for ourselves and for our team to thrive in. And then really be definitive of what is the culture. So in one of my businesses in Edmonton, it's a sporting goods uh, business. And, but the culture is really, really important. We live off a, a phrase that high performance is a result of low tolerances. Well, what does that mean? Well, low tolerances for us is not only operationally our efficiency and our effectiveness, 
but our low tolerances is how we communicate as a team. Like we got a zero gossip policy, no gossip, zero, quit it. No complain, no blame. Own your need. Okay, so you can see right there, Nikki, on my shelf is a saying, and it says, own your, own need. your need. Yeah. Well, what does that even mean? Don't bitch, mean. complain, moan. You got a problem. You got a question. You don't read minds. I don't read minds. Own your need. What do you need? Is it a question? Is it a conversation? Is it a, you know, an operational thing? Cut the, cut the excuses out. No excuses. Own your need. So that you're not sitting there, well, you never said this or she never said that. I don't care. You know, it goes back to a book I know we both read, which is Extreme Red, which is Extreme Ownership. And uh, by Jocko Wilnick, you know, I think that that has that is a must read two or three times. I just finished reading it, man, just today. I, I'm in the appendix now. It's funny. It's the book of the month in Sovereign Man in the month of June, which is about declutter and take ownership of your life. So I love it, man. That's awesome. Funny yeah. you brought it up just as we're reading it. Well, there's a thing about that whole concept, which is it's not enough to read it. It's enough to understand and apply it. So there's a fundamental belief that I have, Nikki, and you know, I'm old enough and been on this earth long enough to know that it's true. Your life is a reflection of the decisions you make or the decisions you don't make. The values you live, whether they're your own or somebody else's, your life is a reflection of those values. Here's the fundamental challenge that we face many people are living someone else's values. And I'm not talking moral values, by the way. I'm talking about life's values. And they're really living into old stories, old patterns, often some trauma from parents or family, even some sometimes societal peer pressure values, but they're not really your values. And the big epiphany and the big awakening for many people, and you know, because we're talking about men here, is when you start to realize what your values are, then you start to ask yourself the question, am I living my values or whose values am I living? Because if you're feeling frustrated, angry, uh, if you're feeling uh, kind of bummed out, depressed, those are all really interesting signs of possibly being out of integrity. And in my definition of integrity, you can only ever be out of integrity with you. That's the only, I can't ever be out of integrity with Nikki Ballou. I can lie to Nikki Ballou. I can tell him stories, but even that is my integrity. That's mine. And so often what we see with integrity, it gets misdirected. So there's a fundamental definition that I often use, which is integrity is who you are when nobody's looking. And yes, there's structural integrity and there's, you know, integrity is a big conversation, but when you're not being true to yourself, you're out of integrity. But here's the, here's the universal law. Even if you don't know who you are at some level, subconscious, even, you know, you're living a life out of integrity, not being true to yourself. So these are all things. So back to a, that's a big long winded and a whole rabbit hole, Nikki. But at the end of the day, 
when I look at how I operate my businesses and I have all of the same challenges that every single business owner has. And sometimes I think they're even far greater than most. And, you know, with what we're going through in the world today and melting down and raising interest, rising interest rates and uncertainty and food shortages, you know, the threat of food shortages and wars and China and Taiwan. Oh my gosh. You know, so we all face these challenges, how we go through those challenges is ultimately what matters. Yeah, man, that's powerful. It's very true, right? Um, now, here's the world we live in as men today, okay? It's 2022, and um, the culture seems to have been hijacked by the most extreme, crazy, mentally unstable people in our world. That if you disagree with any single one of their opinions, they're going to come after you and try to cancel you, try to end your livelihood just for disagreeing with them, right? And one of the things that they're saying right now is manhood's bad, masculinity is toxic, patriarchy is wrong, you know, and it's, it's, it's absolutely insane because you're not going to uplift women by tearing men down. It's the worst thing you can do to try to do that. And frankly, I don't think you're uplifting women by tearing men down. I think you're tearing women down at the same time. And in this day and age, you know, things that 20 years ago, we would have looked at and said, this is absolutely insane. This is crazy that somebody is even thinking like this today is like, oh, no, what are you talking about? This is normal. This is good. Y you know, um, I don't know, like, call me crazy, but I'm one of those weird people who thinks five-year-old children shouldn't be exposed to any kind of sex. <laughs> I mean, children shouldn't know what sex is, period, full stop, end of story. Yet there's people today, they're going, oh, no, 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 five-year-old children need to know all about mm -hmm. sex. They need to know all about various sexual preferences at the same time. And it's okay to have naked people in front of five-year-olds being sexual. I'm sorry, back in the day, we used to call that, you know, attempted pedophilia, right? And we take people off to jail who tried to do that crap. Yet there's people that are trying to normalize that kind of behavior these days. And I'm looking at this and going, okay, I'm a man. It's the 21st century. It's the year 2022. I want to be the best, most positive man I can be. I want to take care of my family. I want to make opportunities available for my children. You know, I'm in business with my woman, just like you're in business with yours. And I want her to feel good about that because, you know, she's, she says, you know, you, you, sometimes you just shut me down. You're too loud, Nikki. You talk too much. You say too many things. I don't feel I have room to speak. And I just go, oh, shit, man, I can't do that in front of my lady. I got to give her a chance to feel like she can shine too. But how, in your view, in this day and age, can you still be a man and stand for the things that men have always stood for, uh, right, and yet not be, I don't know, overwhelmed by the craziness uh, and the, what seems to be the, the derangement of modern society, you know? Um, I, I don't know if that's a, a, a question that you're even prepared to answer, but I wanted to throw it your way. You know, I'm, I'm willing to take any of those questions on, you know, at the end of the day, Nikki, I don't have any of the answers. What I have is my view of the world. I have, you know, my philosophical kind of, you know, contemplation of these issues that you talk about. And, you know, I work backwards from a couple of things. And, you know, these are conversations that I've been having and I've had with different age groups. And, you know, just like I say, philosophically, and, you know, the thing that we have to always be careful of, I think, as you know, leaders, and even in your case, is understanding 
that there are idealisms that will create blind spots for us to not see other things. So you have a view of how a man should be, but some of your view is defined culturally by how you were raised. Different than other cultures, different than what was happening, you know, let's say in even one city over another, you know, because I've traveled Canada extensively, talked to men right across the country and women, by the way, even the cultural differences from from one province to the other within Canada. And of course, we're a, you know, we're a multicultural nation. And if you take the time to listen, you start to see that diversity in how men are. And how men, you know, uh, how they treat other women, how they treat kids, how they view the world. So all of the things that you're talking about, I 100% get it. And I agree with you. But as leaders, is how do we take on what we see as the challenge? We can't, you know, we can't go in and beat on a drum and make everybody wrong. We have to step back and say, okay, what is my message? How do I see the world? And then you will attract those individuals that agree with you and are looking for leadership so that they too can be heard. Because of the difference here, Nikki, is that you're willing to go out and put yourself out there and be heard. There's many men that share your views, guaranteed, share your values, guaranteed, but aren't willing for any number of reasons to say, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stand on a soapbox and get my message out there. And you're willing to do that. You believe in it. You're passionate about it. What what lights you up is being a contribution. So what, you know, to what degree are you going to have, you know, not everybody's going to agree. There's going to be a percentage of men that say, I align with this guy and I can see this movement. I want to be part of it. I want to be a contribution to it. I want to share it. Yeah, 100 percent. Um, and, but, but, you know, I think as men, we can all agree on certain things, right? I mean, we can all agree that, that a man should be, uh, a provider. He doesn't have to be the only provider in his family, but he should be a provider. A man should be out there and working for his family and making money for his family. And, and a man should be a protector of his family. Like if someone comes after your kids, you got to be there to take care of those kids. Right. I think that's super, super important. And a man's got to show leadership in the household. You, you know, his wife's got to show leadership too. But you got to show some leadership. You got to have a, a vision for where the family's going to go. You got to have a vision for your kids. I think all those things are important. And I think a man should want his community and society to be better. He should want the city he lives in to be better. He should want the community that he's a part of to take care of the vulnerable people in it more. You know, he should be doing things to help elevate the next generation of young men. So, you know, the impulses of the teenage boy, which let's be honest, are the impulses of a of an unruly gang, if left unchecked, are checked by some men and they're taught, you know, not to go completely crazy and be self-destructive and destructive to the society around them. I think all men everywhere can agree that these are things we can align around, regardless of exactly how we go about doing it, right? Um, what I want to understand from you, Pat. Let me interrupt. Hold on. Let me before we go down another path here, Nikki. Let me just yeah. point out a couple things. Sure. And this is because this goes back to the values conversation. Okay. There's a really there's a set of words that we have to always be aware of that we use. Should, need to, ought to. Mm-hmm. The minute you use that language, you're asking others to live your values. 
Yeah, now, good. in this particular conversation, now I want to get clear on something. I align with your values, but I want to be, you know, kind of looking at the psychology of it. You believe that all men, that language is just guess what? Not all men agree with you. Not all men are going to be leaders. They're not built to be. Not all men think they should look after women or lead the family. Not all men. There's no shoulds. So in that particular uh, monologue that you just shared, well, I align with much of it or even all of it. You use the word should many times. It's only to point out to you is that those are your values. And this is why it's so important to understand that men will align with your values and you will attract men into a movement that align with those values. There are going to be men that go, this guy's full of shit. There are, and they have and been. He, <laughs> they've taken off on me. <laughs> but, but here's the thing, but, but have some compassion and some empathy for one thing. You don't know their background. You don't know how they were raised. You don't know trauma. You don't know what their family's belief systems were. And so you don't necessarily understand how some men are showing up the way they show up. We can scratch our head and go, what the hell? But we don't know background. Now, that's only to allow for compassion and empathy, to not be in a charge of making others who don't align with our values wrong. Here's the fundamental around it, Nikki. I have my values. You have your values. If they align, we integrate. It's awesome. If they don't align, it doesn't mean your values are right and mine are wrong or vice versa. It means we just don't align. So we can't live into a world that believes that there should be this all of the time. There just isn't. It's not the way the world is going to exist. So as we try and create community, as we try and create a movement, as we try and get men engaged, what we're really trying to say here is how do we attract men into a community that values align, that feel, yes, I hear what you're saying. Yes, I feel that gap. I feel I need a space to go be the man I want to be, and I'm not being allowed to because I live in this world of social media where wokeness is making everybody wrong and they're burning statues and creating and crushing history. I don't get it, but they have may not have a space to come into, so they're playing small. So we create the space. You create the space for them to step into. Yeah, there's truth to what you're saying. There's, you know, everyone's got their own values. Everyone has got their own view of the world. But I'm just saying, I think that, you know, the, the vast majority of men, if you bring these topics up, up with them are going to say, yeah, I agree. I think this makes sense. This is what men do. This is what men ought to be doing in the world. You, you know, and if we come to a point where um, the majority of men feel that, hey, I shouldn't be keeping my word. It doesn't matter whether I keep my word or not. You know, it doesn't matter whether I'm uh, a stand for the people I love or not. Uh, it, it, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm a protector and I shouldn't be providing. Forget it. I'm just going to be a derelict. I, if we come to a stage where that becomes the reality of what we're dealing with in the world, I think the world's gone to hell in a handbasket, right? And part of the problem today with a lot of men who don't align around these values is they've either been um, exposed to other values in school and they're not being exposed to those values at home. Maybe they're being raised by a single mother uh, if they're young boys. Dr. Warren Farrell in his book, The Boy Crisis, talks about how single parenthood 
is harder on the child that's living with a parent of the opposite gender, right? So if a boy's living primarily with his mother, it's harder for him. If it's a daughter living with a single mother, it's easier because you know, girl and mother just get along better. The mother, as much as she loves her son, cannot impart those lessons of manhood and masculinity to the boy. And it's one of the reasons that a lot of boys today in their teenage years are getting into trouble. They're doing crazy things like that. That fellow down in Texas who shut up all those people in that school, you, you, you know, that, that sort of thing wouldn't be happening as much as it currently is if our society wasn't one in which, you know, a lot of boys were missing that masculine role model, that, that, that man in their life that would say, okay, kid, cool down, chill out. Don't do that kind of stuff. Right. Because that's the energy of fathering. I had a guest on my show a few weeks back, his name Jeff Tomlinson. And he said something which I thought was really brilliant. He said that he's a part of a men's group week after week, even though he's in his 60s right now, not because, you know, he, he feels like anything's missing in his life or, you know, he's screwing up majorly. It's just that he says, I'm a man and I need the energy of, of fathering in my life left to myself. You know, my impulses are to be lazy, to eat bonbons and to be nastier to people than I would otherwise be if, if I didn't have other men around me who'd say, hey, man, what are you doing? Stop eating bonbons, get off your duff, work out and stop treating people badly. You, you know what I mean? That's the sort of thing that the energy of fathering brings to men. And I think personally, one of the reasons I created Sovereign Men is I think that's missing. I don't think we have that in the world, Patrick. Right. So, and I, you know, like I said, I don't disagree. And what your guest shared with you there was a realization that he needed to create an environment and be in an environment to support his own success in being who he wants to be. Okay. Yeah. But when we, when you go back to part of the original Good. question that you asked Nikki, which is, you know, how do we create a movement? Yeah. And, you know, if, we look at this movement, we say, well, first off, we have to attract a lot of other men that think like this, that share these common values. And not only that, have a mission to actually lead and be the source of a view of the world that they can share with others. It's like, that's where a movement comes. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, you've, you've probably seen that right where they set up the room full of uh mouse traps with ping pong balls on them yeah. and it's all full and you throw in one ping ball and it's just like right it just explodes and that's how movements get created and that is to say that you know when you lead a charge you attract men of like mind who then go out to attract men of like mind and so on and so on and understanding that that's really the key and you're going to change some views but it goes back to even what's happened with the pandemic. You know, we look at and was nothing more true through COVID and through the pandemic and what we're going for, going through is, you know, it's easier to, what is the one I've lost the phrase? It's easier to lie to a man than to convince a man that he's been lied to, or it's, it's yeah. something along that line, right? Yeah. And, and, and the reality of it is, is that when people are really stuck in their wokeness and their belief systems, you know, it's a lot of work to, to try and change their view of the world, if, especially if they're not willing to have their view of the world changed. You know, when you attract men of like mind, you're also attracting those who are going, I don't know what the answers are. I just know 
that over there doesn't work for me. It doesn't make sense. And so they're looking for something. They're looking for, a, you know, a, a, some substance, if you will, to fill the gap that they're feeling in their life. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. It reminded me when I was a kid, I believed in Superman. I thought he was real. And um, I had a friend of mine come and tell me, no, Superman's not real. And I got mad at him. I told him, no, Superman's real. And finally, he gave up trying to convince me he wasn't real. He said, yeah, you're right. I saw him the other day and whatnot. And I bought that BS lie rather than come face to face with the fact that Superman wasn't real. And that was me as a child. But, you know, today, some of our most cherished beliefs or like that belief that I had in Superman as a child, you know, some of those beliefs are balderdash and it's very mm-hmm. difficult. Like during the pandemic, a lot of people thought, yeah, the government's being honest with us. Well, the government wasn't being fully honest with us. Yeah, there was, there was a, there was a COVID. I got COVID. No, and it wasn't fun by any means. Uh, but the government wasn't being honest with us about what exactly this was, what the impact of this was going to be, or, or who needed to really be afraid of it and who really didn't need to be as afraid of it. And as a result, they closed down an entire world over this. And many businesses got shut down. A lot of people's mental health got impacted by this. That, that's some crappy, crappy shit. And we as men today ought to be challenging what the powers that be tell us. We ought to be, I tell men, don't believe anything I tell you. Go check it out for yourself. Maybe I'm full of shit too. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think every man mm-hmm. ought to think for himself. Part of being a sovereign man, we say there's five elements to being sovereign. Well, you got to think for yourself. That's the first and, and, and most important one. Sure. And, you know, something there is, uh, you know, a place where, you know, when you're thinking for yourself, you're also looking and saying, where do I get my information from? What is my source of data? You know, how am I viewing the world? And is my view of the world narrow and shallow, or is it broad and deep? And both of those can be two extremes. It can be too narrow, too shallow. It can also be too broad and too deep because then you never really form a view of the world that you can get behind. And then ultimately, as men, we have to make a decision, which is to say, how do we move forward in our life for our family, for our friends, for our community, for our businesses? And we make those calls based on that information, based on those decisions that we make. And so this always goes back to a fundamental, which is, you know, when we change the, you know, there's a famous quote by Wayne Dyer, one of my favorites, which is when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. And, you know, when we as men are developing and growing, so, you know, I'm north of 60 now, right? I'm, you know, I literally... I'm about to turn 64 years old at the time of this recording. And what I've learned and the wisdom that I've gained is that I've gone through the different phases of my life. It's why, you know, those birthdays that end in a five or a zero, they're actually kind of milestone birthdays. And the reality of it is in hindsight is who I was when I was 20 is different than 30 is different than 40 is different than 50. And guess what? I've noticed the difference in my transition after I turned 60 and how I'm viewing the world now. And so as men, we evolve and we change. The question is, is do we have the awareness to understand who we are as men at this point in our life? Are we being who we want to be? That's a critical component of all of this. 
Do we have the actually, have we actually taken the time and do we take the time to reflect on who we are in the world of 100% responsibility for your life? Yeah. It all, all starts with you. Your life is a reflection of who you're being or who you're not being. So, Nikki, let's let's give you an example of this, okay? You're not a drug guy, okay? Nope. Right. So is there any people in your life that do a lot of drugs and hang out with you? Do you have any dealers that are coming up to you saying, hey, you want to smoke dope? Do you want to buy some whatever? Not one. I wouldn't tolerate it. Right. My point. So you're really clear on something. And the more we get clear on something, the more we eliminate things from our life and the more we attract things that we want to attract. You know, you're surrounded by men that believe physical fitness is, is a great thing. You're, and, and whether they actually participate in it at this point or not, they recognize that it's important to them. They recognize that having conversations with other men gives them a space to show up and be the man they want to be without a whole bunch of judgment or with some guidance that says, hey, dude, you're being an ass, like back off or you're being, wow, look at the difference you're making in your family's life. So we have to take time and understand that who we're being is actually going to drive our life. And we do that with this, you know, uh, uh, the biggest awakening I, I think I ever had was many, many years ago. It's probably, I'm going to say 30 years ago, at least, um, you know, when I first met my now wife, Stephanie, and she was very evolved. You know, she used to refer to me as her favorite Neanderthal. That's only to say that's how evolved I was not. OK, the point is this, is that she would say something to me and I would react the way I reacted, often defensive, often, you know, on the attack, often make wrong. And she'd say to me, why do you do that? And I would say to her just the way I am. And one day she said to me, you often say it's just the way you are. And you know, it's a choice, right? And she couldn't have hit me between the eyes with a hammer harder than when she said that. Who we're being is a choice. No excuses, no bullshit. Yes, there could be trauma. Yes, there could be stories of abuse. And my dad was an alcoholic and my mom was a whatever. But the point is this. It's ultimately a choice. And who we're being in the context of our life is a decision that we make to start to shift, to start to evolve, to start to grow. It takes awareness, it takes reflection, it takes commitment, no different than going to the gym every day. It takes a commitment to say, this is the man I wanna be, but nobody takes the time to define it. Well, what kind of man do you wanna be? How do you wanna be in the community? Who do you wanna be as a son, as a husband, as a father, as a friend? Define it. Write it out in fucking front of you so you can look at it. How do you define success? I'm not asking you to. If you want to take it on, go ahead. 
how do you define success? Well, I'll tell you something. For me, it's beyond money. Um, but in the world of men, almost every man defines success by money. How well he's doing with his career, how well he's doing with his business, how much money he's bringing in. For me, though, I think it's kind of fifth on the list, right? First, for me, success is success with my health. Am I healthy? Do I have energy? You know, am I able to do the things I want to do? I'm 54 years old. I'm about to turn 55 in August. You know, part of success for me is I can still go for a run. I can still play sports with my kids. You know, I can, I can go do the things that I want to do physically. So that's part one of success. Secondly is that I got people around me that I love and that love me back. My sons, my woman, you know, my mom. Uh, and the greatest thing about this weekend is yesterday, uh, I went to my mom's house with my two boys and my brother was there with his wife and, and three of his four kids. That was awesome. It was, it was a success. That was a success just to get to spend time with those folks. You know, thirdly, it's, uh, to have the opportunity to be around good friends like you have these kinds of conversations because at the end of my life, I, I know that it's not going to matter very much to me how much I have. I mean, yeah, I want to leave something behind for the people I love and all that jazz, but what's going to matter to me is I, I want to remember, man, I had this great friend named Patrick Francie and uh, I got to hang out with him and we got to have some really great conversations and he taught me a few things and he, he helped me be a better man. Or, you know, I was able to help him do X, Y, and Z, you know, that, that kind of thing, that's success to me. Um, and, you know, after that, I'd say success to me is being able to read and learn and grow. Like I love to read, man. I'm reading a couple of books right now. I'm just finishing up Jocko's book, Extreme Ownership. And uh, I also like to read novels, man. I'm reading a bunch of novels uh, as well this year. Um, I don't know if you know Ed McBain. He wrote the 87th Precinct uh, Detective Story. So I'm reading, uh, I, got, I went to the used bookstore. I picked up a few of his books. They're a lot of fun. <laughs> that to me is success. After that, it's money because money fuels, you know, being able to do all that stuff. But those, those things matter more. Okay, so this is a great conversation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really just, I think, be able to put this in a nice tidy little package for you and put a bow around it, okay? <laughs> so what you just described to me, what I got out of this conversation was this. Your top values are relationship. Your top values are making a difference. Your top values are being a family man and ultimately making money. And those are your top four values. I didn't probably, if I thought about it, I'd pick up on the fifth. It usually live our life's a reflection of our top five values. Health. That's, here's a value fundamental. Well. that's one you missed. Health. Okay. So awesome. So there's a fundamental here, Nikki, that's really interesting, which is, you know, recently I had for probably a couple of years actually quit asking the question, of my guests, how do you define success? I actually stopped using the word success because it's so ambiguous. It's so, you know, some people have attached a lot of money to it. So there's just different definitions for the word success, okay? So what I got to was an interesting definition that I'll share with you. And that is success is when we're living the life that we dream of or have a vision for, full stop. That's good, I like that. Now I'm refining that, that's not the end one I don't think, but I'm 
reflecting, I'm contemplating. But all of what you described, if you lived a healthy physical life, hanging out with your family, making a difference with other men, being a contribution, you would actually, and making money and having a business that you love to do, you would look at that and go, that's my vision. And that's how I would define success. When we're living our life, the way we have the vision and that we dream of, that's all there is to it. And some people say, I need, you know, I need to have uh, challenges. I need to create, I need to construct, you know, a young lady, a good friend of ours is a, is a choreographer and a, and a, an artist and like, so, so kind of creative. And if she doesn't get that creative, if she can't have a space for that creative outlet, she loses her mind. Like she shuts down. So part of her vision and how she defines success is her vision is to have a space for creativity. So yours is to have a space for all of those five values that you live on an ongoing basis that challenge you when they need to challenge you. And because that's how we grow. So that's to take it all and give you a context for it. Now, go back to what I said earlier. You just defined a rough draft of the context for your life. You do that by choice. Those are conscious decisions. Most men don't have a conscious decision of this is who I'm going to be. They don't have boundaries. Your boundary, for example, I don't do drugs. So if you're in a drug world, fuck off. I'm not interested in you. Okay. There are going to be people who are interested in you. I'm not one of them. So this is about taking a stand for your values. And you, for example, don't agree with how children should be taught in school. So you take a stand for that. And so your children are going to either be homeschooled or they're going to go to a private school or they're going to be set up so that they understand that that's not okay with you. And that's a value that you want to instill in them. 100%. Right? But those are very intentional. If you don't ever take the time to think about it, if you don't ever time, take the time to write those values out, write out the intention of who you want to be as a man, how you want to show up, then you're being reactive. You're like, you know, the proverbial sail flopping in the wind with no direction. You know, when I got clear on my context for my life 30 years ago, I almost lost every single friend I had. Because I was so not being true any longer to who I wanted to be as a man. And when I stepped up to be that, guess what? All these people in my life that didn't want to go on the same journey as me, didn't want to align with that, they go, you are messed up. And I go, nope, I'm just really clear on who I want to be. And it's time for me to move on. Our relationship no longer aligns. Doesn't make you wrong. Just, I don't, I don't play that game anymore. It's not where I'm at. You follow? Yeah. Yeah. The same guest I told you about earlier, Jeff Tomlinson, he talked about men's relationships being aligned around purpose. 
And if you don't share a purpose with one another anymore, you're not going to be in relationship. You might call them, you know, once every six months or once every three months or whatever. You might even occasionally break bread with them, but you're not going to be hanging around with them the way that you used to. And he said, if he said to me, he said, look, because he and I, we, we share a value of men's work and wanting to, to bring this work to men and have more men participate in groups that have iron sharp and iron have them be better. But he said that there's folks who, you know, are still involved in aspects that he's not involved in anymore, right? Like leadership of a certain organization. So he used to talk to them daily. Now he barely ever talks to them. And that's appropriate, right? Because as men, we're purpose-driven and we work with other men and bring them into our circles around a purpose. Well, this goes back to, you know, what I, you know, what I said earlier, as we go and evolve through life as men, Nikki, we change, we shift our focus. You know, think about yourself. You know, your children are now older, but when they were younger, you probably hung out with other men and families of that age. And then, and then all the men that weren't having children were kind of, they drifted off. You didn't have so much in common anymore. You know, it's like, no, I can't go out. No, I can't go golfing or go to the bar, whatever the story is. I got my kids and they're my focus. And so somebody who doesn't have kids has a totally different focus. They have capacity to do other things. So they go and do that. It doesn't mean they're wrong and you're right. It just, that's what happens. And so when we honor the phases of our life and when we honor where we are in our life with a clear understanding of where we are, first off, we're much easier on ourselves. We don't make ourselves wrong. We don't have that, you know, you know, I shouldn't say we don't, we limit the not enough conversation, you know, not smart enough, not tall enough, not good looking enough, not rich enough, the not enough, you know, monkey chatter that goes on in our brains starts to get a little bit quieter, you know, and if it starts to escalate again, at least you can get grounded back in what your context is for your life. Yeah, that's very powerful, man. That's very powerful. You've, you've reinforced what I've learned from guests like Jeff Tomlinson and you've brought uh, a new understanding of, you know, how to get my message out there in a way that is a stand, but maybe allows folks that don't quite get it to not get it and have that be okay. But the truth of the matter is that for me, what matters right now is I want sovereign men to grow. We are at 25 odd men. We want to get to 50 and then a hundred and then a thousand and then 10,000 and then a million because we're living in a time where manhood and masculinity are missing from the public square and from discourse. And as a result, our society is imploding. And if you look at ancient Rome, right before Rome was sacked by the Goths and was no more, the Roman empire dissolved that society was undergoing a, a, a level of self-loathing and, and, and lethargy that we're going through as a society right now. There was a lot of debauchery going on in that world. You know, people were involved in unbelievable acts of, uh, you, you, you know, depravity. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. They mistreated each other. They got involved 
with uh, with crazy parties and orgies and and all of that stuff. And the average citizen was disconnected from what it meant to be a good Roman. And Rome used to be the world's mightiest empire. And Roman men would volunteer for the legion and they would go out there, they'd fight, they'd conquer on Rome's behalf. Well, in the last 200 years or so before the Roman Empire fell, Rome's legions were not manned by Romans. They were manned by non-Romans. So the average Roman was too involved in pleasure-seeking to go and defend their empire, to defend their country. And if you look at what's going on today, there's a little bit of that going on today in the West. You know, more and more people in the West are saying, yeah, this isn't such a great place. The values that, that, that really gave them all this freedom, they're, they're poo-pooing them. And people don't want to be involved in civic virtues and civic duties. There's fewer and fewer people volunteering for the armed forces, for law enforcement and for things like that. And to me, I'm a little bit like William F. Buckley back in 1955 when he founded his great magazine, uh, National Review. He said, I'm standing athwart history with my hand stretched out like this, yelling, stop. And I feel like that's what we're doing here in Sovereign Man. Although we're not yelling, stop. We're yelling, come join us. Let's rebuild this thing. Let's make this thing great. Let's make manhood and masculinity great again. You know, our version of the MAGA movement, it's not MAGA, it's MAMAJA. <laughs> well, I think there's a, you know, there's a fundamental in all of that, Nikki, which is that men or people in general will hear you when they're ready to hear you. And sometimes it takes a long time for that message. You know, it's got to be a consistent message, but you have to be really, you know, we all have to be clear on what our message is as men. And I say to you again, as we talk about masculinity and we talk about being a man, you know, who are we really talking to? You know, are we talking to a 25-year-old, a 20-year-old? Are we talking to a 30-year-old, a 50-year-old? Because at this point in my life, who I am as a man and who I am as a warrior is different than who I was at 50. Now, that's not to say my values have shifted, but how I approach life, you know, when you're 25 and the only thing you got is a hammer, everything is a nail. When you're 65, you know, it's a velvet hammer. You know, you, things start to shift and change, but the ultimate message is, do we really own our manhood? Are we really grounded in who we are as men? And what does masculinity even mean? So having a clear definition of that and understanding it. So it really is a, a journey of self-discovery. And it's always a journey of self-discovery because everybody's on their own journey. But it's opening the door to that journey. It's creating the space for people to be on that journey and be in it with others alone, because it's all our own journey. Yeah, it's all our own journey to be sure. Um, one of my uh, earliest mentors is a guy named, uh, a man named Jonathan Kramer. Uh, and he used to say this to, to me, not just to me, to everybody in the room when he was delivering his courses, but he said, you got to do it yourself but you can't do it alone. And I thought that was pretty darn profound. You've got to do it yourself, but you can't do it alone. And I think today, as men, you got to do it yourself. You got to own your own journey. You got to own your own experiences, man. You got to own your own values. You got to step up forward, but you can't do it alone. 
That's why Sovereign Man exists, because you've got a community, a place where you can come and you can be a man, you can let your hair down, and you know you don't need to worry about being canceled just for being a man. And there's a culture here. There's a culture of high standards. There's a culture of keeping your word. In fact, we had a man that we called out on, uh, on not keeping his word, and it, it didn't go well. He didn't like it, and then he went into um, attack mode, and um, we asked to have a conversation with him, and he refused to have a conversation. He just quit the group. And I found myself really upset by that until one of my mentors came to me and said, why are you upset? I said, well, you know, he's a friend of mine. He's this, he's that. I've known him for a long time. I was at his wedding, blah, 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 blah. I was getting all agitated, worked up about this. And he said, no, it's good that he left. I'm like, what do you mean it's good that he left? He said, you built a culture of word keepers. This man was not willing to be a word keeper. If he stayed, he'd wreck your culture. So either he had to abide by your culture and become a word keeper, or he had to go. And he left. It's a good thing. And I'm like, oh, my God. I still love this man. You know, I, I want to have a conversation with him whenever he's ready to have a conversation. But here's the truth. My mentor was right. My mentor was right. This was a good thing that happened. We built a culture because you talked about community and culture. So we built, we'll build in a certain kind of culture here for these men. And then the environment, the environment's got to be a place that calls for you to accept the culture and work on yourself and be sharper and do all kinds of stuff. And now we're overlaying extreme ownership on this. So I'm looking at everything that goes on in the group. It's my responsibility. It's my responsibility that this man decided to leave. I didn't communicate to him and to the other men the importance of word and how, how strong we want to keep that standard. That was on me. I'm the leader of the group. It's my job to completely own everything that happens in the group. It's not on this man. It's on me. It's on me that this happened. And it's also on me to create the type of environment that everyone's clear that we expect this of them. And as a result, we're going to have men that are going to be a part of this group and are going to be attracted to this group because they want this. They want a kind of culture where you're hard on them, where you have them keep their word, where you push them to be better and where you have iron sharpened iron. And I really, really like that. I think it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, you know, when we look at conflict, it's generally created by a couple of fundamental things, generally. I mean, there's more, but two that you just talked about that we have to be really clear on all the time is agreements and unstated expectations. So if we don't have an agreement that we don't that we you know don't show up on time every time if we don't have an agreement that we're straight all of the time with no exception we are then having a, a, the ambiguity of belief systems and unstated expectations so if we have an agreement then the expectation is stated okay i expect all of us to honor these agreements. These are all deal breakers. So there you have the agreement and you have a stated expectation. Conflict comes from unstated expectations and ambiguity of agreements or lack of agreements. Mm -hmm. That's very good. I'm taking notes here. Conflict comes from unstated expectations or ambiguity in agreements or lack of agreements. I think that's very yeah. good. 
It's really, very good. I like it. So if you're building a movement and you want it to grow, you want to minimize this type of conflict, right? So you want to have stated expectations and you want to have clear, unambiguous agreements, right? Yeah, these are, you know, it's kind of like it, it cracks me up. You know, it's like when you go onto Facebook, when you create a group page, here's the rules, okay? And if you don't want to follow these rules, you can't be part of this group. Click yes, I agree with these rules of engagement. Okay, no trolling, no blah, 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 whatever the story is. So until you write the, until you have a very clear statement, it's like when I go back to culture in business, you know, when we say, you know, high performance is a result of low tolerances, those tolerances are stated. We will not tolerate gossip. We will not tolerate complaining. You got a problem, go to the source that can fix the problem. Don't complain about it to people who can't help you. Own your need. Right? Mm -hmm. So these are stated. They're agreed to by the group. And that's how everybody then shows up. And then it becomes the way. I think this is and powerful. Then any, and then if anybody doesn't follow the way, they either get realigned, state why they can't see the way, or they choose to leave. Brilliant. I think this is very powerful. And the reason why this is very powerful is because for any man who wants to be a leader, or frankly, for a man who's part of a group and he wants to be an effective follower in that group, wants to learn about leadership, understanding that you need a a community, you need a culture and you need an environment that allows everybody to thrive and has high standards that elevates everybody. So they don't stay stuck on some sort of plateau is very important. I really like what you said here. High performance is a function of low tolerances. We don't tolerate a lot of bullshit here, which is why high performance is the culture that we've created. Really, really powerful you know, stuff. Just to go a little bit deeper on that, so you have a real understanding of that statement. You know, the, it's a great, you know, the great metaphor or analogy, if you will, is of a car. Okay, I can put you, I can put you in a Mustang. Okay, whatever the 500 horsepower, whatever the, the top end Mustang. We'll just use that as as an example. Okay. You'll get in and you'll drive it and it'll do what it does, but you're not pushing it to the limits, okay? Because you're not an experienced freaking racer, okay? Now, I'm going to take uh, an, uh, a Formula One driver, put him in the car. He'll drive the wheels off that thing. He'll push it to its limits. And likely, with that skill set, it will break. Why? It doesn't have the tolerances to do what he's asking and has the skill to do, okay? Take that to a Porsche, I don't know, GX, okay? It's next level. Put that guy in that drive. Guess what? It'll probably put up with his abilities, and it won't. Every screw, every nut is in place specifically for speed and performance. Now, guess what? Take that, put it into a supercar. Put it into a Bugatti, you know? Put it into any number of supercars, and guess what? Every single component of that car is fine-tuned, handmade, built to withstand pressure. 
very, very low tolerances. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm a knife collector, right? And I, um, I own about a hundred knives. And I'll show you, um, I'll show you a knife here. This is a uh, an Emerson Police Utility knife. This is uh, designed by Ernest Emerson, and it's made in his factory in, I think it's uh, California. I don't think it's Coronado, but it's down there in California, okay? So I don't know if you can see the logo over there on that knife. So this man invented the tactical folding knife for the United States Navy SEALs. And he's known for folders, but this is a fixed blade knife. And if you look at this knife, the elegance of the design, the tolerances are really clear. Look at how it fits into my hand. Like my hand wraps around this. There's a space here for my thumb. It's, 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 it's a jimping space, right? So my thumb naturally just kind of fits into the space. And my hold and my grip on this blade is, is absolute, right? It's not going to slip. Even if, you know, there's water or blood or whatever, it's not going to slip, right? And the handle is made of a material called G10. It's very grippy. Again, hard to get out of your hand. And the, the blade is made out of, you know, not tool steel. And there's nothing wrong with tool steel. Tool steel is great. It's made out of a type of steel called, you know, 154CM. It's a steel that is, retains an edge well, so it stays sharp. It's hard enough that you can use it for police tasks, like, you know, like cutting shit open, or if you get into a fight, you can use this in a fight. Um, and it's also the kind of thing that won't rust easily. So the tolerances of this knife are absolutely insane. They're spectacular. They're super, super great. And you look at this knife and you go, well, it's just a knife, right? But this is a beautifully designed tool. It's gorgeous uh, to look at, but it's also super, super ut utilizable for any task you would need if you were a cop or a, uh, a, um, a fireman or someone who needed to use a knife in your day-to-day -day life. But for someone like me, hey, man, I can have this around the house. I can cut shit open with it. If I wanted to have a steak, I could use this to cut open a steak for myself. It, it, it's a beautiful thing. And I, why did I buy an Emerson police utility knife? Because I could buy, you know, a knife made in a Chinese factory for 10 bucks. This knife cost me 300. Why did I buy this knife for 300? Well, this knife's going to last for my lifetime and my kids' lifetime and their kids' lifetime. It'll still work and still do all that stuff. Well, that $10 light knife will likely not last beyond four or five uses. And that's the beauty of, you, you know, super tolerances, superb tolerances, although in their world, they call them high tolerance. Like they have a high tolerance for failure rather than a low tolerance. But the concept is the same. They're just using slight different terminology to describe what you're talking about. This is made with a lot of integrity in how it operates. And in your organization and the culture you've created, you've got an organization that's built with a lot of you, you know, powerful tolerances, if you will, for it to operate at a very high level. And you have a low tolerance for bullshit, which allows your organization to continue to grow, expand, and succeed. You don't always need to be there to like crack the whip on people. They already know this is what's expected. They bought into the, um, to the culture and to the high performance as a function of low tolerances philosophy. 
they're all in. So that organization will operate without you. And I think that's a beautiful thing. That's my vision for Sovereign Man. I want Sovereign Man to grow to the point where Nikki Billy was just the founder and this organization's got a life of its own and it's able to operate without him. So there's, yeah, exactly. And then at the end of the day around all of it, Nikki, is like the organization, like your knife, it needs to be maintained. It needs to be sharpened and it needs to be handled and corrections put in along the way. You know, you might chip that knife on something. You might yeah. realize that you've pushed it too far and then you have to come back in to resharpen it, take that nick out. It's the way it is with the so these are all things that whether it's an organization, whether it's a knife, whether it's who we are, you know, we ask ourselves the question, and this is a big question for anybody, you know, as men, guys like you or me, you know, is what do we tolerate with ourselves? And that's where the conversation starts. And, you know, there is a, you know, this, and another conversation is because we make agreements with ourselves that we don't honor and we tolerate that. And, you know, we talk about, you know, Stephen Covey wrote a great book, you know, called The Speed of Trust. And in it, the understanding is, is how we break agreements with ourselves and how we can't even trust ourselves. And we have to look at that always and knowing that we are the center, right? The speed of trust and how we operate starts with trusting ourselves. And that's why it's always, you know, a conversation to be had with how do we hold ourselves accountable? What are we staying true to? And knowing that we are mere mortals. So we want to create an environment for ourselves to be as successful as we can be. And it starts with us. Well, you know, breaking an agreement with yourself is another way of saying you're not keeping your word, you know, because as a man, we want you to be able to count on your word everywhere with yourself with others in your head. Hey, I'm going to get up at six tomorrow. Well, six, 10 isn't six. You just broke your word. You know what I mean? So that's, that's important. That's powerful. There's an episode I did with uh, the man that I run a sovereign man with sovereign circle with his name is uh, uh, Rob Arpa. And we talk about the word whore and it's deliberately a provocative phrase because a word whore is someone who only keeps their word when there's money involved. You can count on them to keep their word if they're getting paid. <laughs> but if they're not getting paid, <laughs> their word is hit and miss at best. And to me, you know, if you're a man, the number one thing you got to focus on is elevating your word. If you keep your word 30% of the time to yourself and other people, you want to get it to as close to 100% as you can. If you go from 30% to 50%, that's still a massive improvement. And compared to most people, it's excellent because most people don't keep their word even one out of 10 times. But my word, people around me go, Nikki, you got the best word I know. And I go, my word's still pretty shit. You know, at best, I keep it 50% of the time, at best. And I really want to be at as close to 100% of the time as possible. Now, I'm pretty good at keeping my word with other people. With other people, it's probably closer to 80%. But with myself, it's not that great. I break my word to myself in my head, what I say I'm going to do a lot. Yeah. And that's what yeah. I want to take to a whole new level. I got it. Yeah. These are the awarenesses that we have. This is the reflection that we have as men. And 
we're always, you know, there's always when you're built like you are, or perhaps I am, is that we're always trying to up our game, but it's incremental. The question we ask ourselves is, have we set the trajectory to be correct? You know, there's the old phrase, right? You know, when you strike a golf ball, if you're three millimeters out at the tee, you're in at 300 yards, you're in another fairway. So we want to make sure that we set the trajectory and recheck the trajectory as we go along. You know, not unlike flying a plane, you know, it's constantly being checked, check, check, check. But do we have the right trajectory knowing that we'll have to put in corrections along the way, given the conditions? Amen. Amen. And that's one of the reasons why it's important to have a band of brothers that you can go to because left to your own devices, you're going to bullshit yourself. You're going to tell yourself something just to make yourself feel better in the moment. While if you're with a group of other men, or if you have a good woman in your life, your men will tell you the truth and your woman will really tell you the truth, <laughs> you know, just yeah, like yeah. your wife did to you. So my woman's really good that way. She kicks my, she kicks my butt. She's constantly testing me. They say that a good woman's constantly testing you. And I think that's the truth. And a good group of men is constantly looking for those chinks in your armor. And they're going to just poke at them until you fix them. Cause that's how you're going to get better. And that's why it's super important for men to have a group of men, a band of brothers that they can count on, they can rely on, and they can go to when shit's not going downhill or it is going downhill, but yeah. they think it's going uphill. And someone needs to say, no, man, you're just, you need to change your perspective. It's actually going downhill. So anyways, Patrick, yeah. this has been a fun conversation, man. I really enjoyed it. I uh, appreciate you coming here. Sovereign man in large part exists because of that conversation you and I had uh, just a little over a year ago when you told me if you want to build a movement, you need help and you need to read this book. And so I listened to you. I got help and I bought that book and I read it. And God bless you. We're up to 25 men and we're, we're working hard to get to the next level, 50, 100, 1,000, 10,000, a million. So rock and roll. Patrick Francie, the source of the success of Sovereign Man sitting right here with us today, man. God bless you, man. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Nikki. Yeah, you bet. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Man Podcast. If you're ready to take charge of your life and become the man you've always wanted to be, we invite you to join the movement at SovereignMan.ca.